0: <smart> I'm <noise> sunday morning on fox sports radio 98.9 fm at thirteen forty a.m flagship of the vegas golden knights we are coming to you from the whiz then in las vegas because for the last two years now the pandemic has forced us out of the fox sports residential bank corp studio i have a feeling i'm going to stop saying that soon but we'll see joining me on the show is social media director spencer the Wiz ostrovsky
1: Nobody beats
0: the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Yeah, the Wiz not only has his own studio, but he has his own theme music as well. Well-deserved. Joining me um, once again back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp. studio is producer Chris Magnum-Chapman, who, aside from producing a number of shows for Lotus Broadcasting, is the locker room reporter, for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. Uh, this show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Line. That's O U T T A L I N E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Autoline Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp. Studio line is 702 876 1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp., whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own. Residential Bank Corp. is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Uh, uh, Call uh, 702-964-5720 today to get information on all the home financing options available to you in the state of Nevada. On Tap, the Vegas Golden Knights have won their last two after dropping five in a row. UNLV missed out on the NIT and all four Mountain West Conference teams that made the NCAAs were bounced in the first round. The Raiders scored huge last week in free agency and LeBron James made history. And as always, March Madness is just that. And this year, Cinderella's is hanging out just outside of New York City. We'll talk about that. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance a home you currently own, choose a company you can trust. Residential Bancorp Funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on your home financing options in the state of Nevada. Uh, what's going on, Spence? You and Chris did a great job last week. Of course, I'm wearing my Panama hat, my Michigan State shirt for obvious reasons. Uh, they're getting ready for the big dance today uh, in the round of 32, hopefully moving on they got a hell of a battle in front of them against Duke and Shashevsky, and I think uh it's it, it's like really lopsided it's like 17 and 3 their record against each other uh coach uh Izzo just has a lot of problems with Coach K. I hope that ends today. I'd love to see Coach K end his career. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, man, good job last week. I appreciate you guys filling in. I tried to join you, but man, I was in Costa Rica. I wasn't thinking about the sports show.
1: No, you're on you're on vacation, so uh, no need to do anything like that. Uh, glad you could. Uh, thought I could fill in. It was really fun, and it's always great to have Chris on the show too.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to say that I didn't have fun in Costa Rica. That's time for another show and another topic, <laughs> not today. But um, that being said. You know, I kept an eye on everything going on in Vegas, and um, while I was gone, the Golden Knights had me pretty damn concerned. Uh, the injury bug just keeps hitting on Robin Leonard, the lower body injury, out since March the eighth. And uh, let's just roll right into it with Nightcap. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's
2: time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here.
0: The puck uh, hasn't been bouncing the Golden Knights' way for a little bit, but the last two games, two huge wins. They get the Florida Panthers, best team in the East, second-best team in hockey record-wise, and then one of their rivals, uh, LA Kings who are in front of them, a couple places in front of them in the Western conference right now. So that in the Pacific division as well, um, they get a big five, one win yesterday, huge win. Logan Thomas, great and goal uh, gave up one and the golden Knights scored five. They needed a win like that, but Chris, You know i'm shaking my head i mean you know i i don't want to use injuries as as an excuse man that is part of sports at every level is injuries you got to deal with them you're going to have them but man when i saw eichel block that shot with his hand in the game against florida i got scared you know what list and um thankfully he was in the lineup last night he played uh but this team has got to get healthy and if they don't uh this is be the year to make a run for the Stanley Cup.
2: Well, yeah. the The key is obviously health for the Golden Knights. Um, it's not an excuse, but it is a reality. And you look at the amount of games missed by Mark Stone, by Max Pacioretty, by Alec Martinez. I mean, it, it, it's it's almost like Brian. You 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 could go back to the beginning of the season, and they had guys missing early parts of the season due to COVID. Matthias Janmark had long COVID. You know, it took him a, a bit of time to get back in the game shape, and he's an important player. We, we saw that yesterday with his shorthanded goal. I mean, this goes back to, to, to the very beginning of the season. That first game, they had guys out of the lineup due to injury, due to COVID. It got worse in game two. You lost Mark Stone against Los Angeles. Um, but look... I think what, what we've seen is Pete DeBoer has done as good of a job as any coach in the league could do with what he's been dealt. I mean, I, I saw a lot after the Winnipeg game. Look, that game was, was vile. You know, like nobody nobody wants to see a scoreline like that. And, and Pete DeBoer was pretty adamant after the game that he thought his goalies should have been better. Um and look what we've gotten the last two nights from Logan Thompson. Logan Thompson took that personally. He didn't come out and say that he took what Pete DeBoer said personally, but you can see it in his game. The last two nights he played exceptionally well against Florida. He was really really good last night against Los Angeles. A uh, night last night yesterday. Um, you know, two penalty kills back to back in the first uh, first period. Look, Logan Thompson is a guy, and and. I don't know him that well. I haven't really gotten to, to a, a feel for him as far as you know how he approaches the game. Obviously very different than Robin Leonard and Lorraine Brassois. However, Logan Thompson has a chip on his shoulder. And I think you can see that when he plays. This is a guy who took a very unorthodox path to get to the NHL. I didn't know a lot about the history and the way goalies make the NHL but Logan Thompson played college hockey not a lot of guys go to Canadian colleges and work their way into the NHL it's just not a a very traditional path but Logan Thompson took that route and now he's here and he's a guy who who look he he was the best goalie in the AHL last year with the Henderson Silver Knights and the last two nights he's shown glimpses of being a guy who certainly belongs in the NHL. Now, what does that mean for the Golden Knights going forward? Look, the reality is I don't think you can count on a rookie goalie to play you into the playoffs. Other guys are going to have to step up, and we've seen that the last two nights. Fourth line chipping in with goals. Brett Howden against Florida. Last night, you get Michael Amadio. Granted, it was already 4-1 LA. had pulled the goalie. They put... Cal Peterson back in the game, and the fourth line goes out and scores a goal, which is not something you see all the time. Once the goalie gets pulled and you score an empty netter, generally the game is over, but the Golden Knights did not stop playing. Look, they made up some ground on Los Angeles. Vancouver, I believe, lost last night, so you put some distance between yourself and them. Um, Edmonton did beat New Jersey, I, I believe, and then Dallas lost to the Islanders. So all in all, the last two or three days have been really good for the Golden Knights. Obviously, tomorrow is a day that everybody has circled. It's a trade deadline. I went into the Florida game with the mindset that the Golden Knights should be sellers. I think the last two games have kind of changed my opinion on that. It maybe shouldn't. And maybe I'm only looking at the last thing I saw and not the general body of work. But I think there's optimism around this franchise that, hey, if we can get into the playoffs and we can get healthy... We're going to be tough to beat, and I don't know if that's accurate. I'd like to hope it is. I mean, you have to think if you're able to get Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, and Alec Martinez back into the lineup for the playoffs, this is a completely different Golden Knights team than what we're seeing right now. So, um, yeah, there's some optimism after the last couple games. I don't know if it's warranted. Look, this team is their biggest issue. Their, Their bugaboo, their Achilles heel all season has been consistency. We'll see. You've got two really tough games on the road tomorrow and Tuesday in Minnesota, who just acquired Nick DeLaurier and Tyson Jost over the last couple days leading up to the deadline. And then you've got Winnipeg, who just smoked you in their building. So, look, I, I mean, unfortunately for the goal of the Knights, those two games both come after the trade deadline. But I think those two games will be a greater barometer of where this team is at than the last two games.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you also, you know, mentioning, you know, the injury bug, Robin Leonard, it's not a long injury, but he's been out since March 8th, a lower body injury. He should get back in the lineup. Braden McNabb as well is a the guy they're going to need back. And, um, you know, Stone, again, you know, I, I think best case scenario, you're looking at probably the uh, postseason for Mark Stone. And and they have to get there. I mean, they're the seventh seed right now, only five points in front of the ninth seed. So uh, th- that would be the ninth team out. You know, they've got to play better. And, and again, it does come down to injuries, Chris. They have proven in the last couple of days they can beat the better teams in hockey, especially the win over Florida, as you mentioned. Huge game. It was nice to see the Donoff score two goals against his former team. He needs to get going. And of course, Amadio always liked to see the fourth line put the puck in the net. But this team has to cumulatively play better. And Logan Thompson, you know, perfect misfit, as you mentioned, through going through a junior college, working his way all the way into the NHL. He's been part of this franchise franchise for a couple of years now and knows the players, knows the system, knows what's expected by DeBoer, and maybe that was good for DeBoer to light a fire under his ass to prove to himself, hey, look what you've done and accomplished. The best goalie in the AHL last year, as you mentioned, Chris, and working his way into the NHL, and this guy, the last couple games anyways, looks like he can start at the highest level, and that's big for the Golden Knights to have a third option if they need one, which apparently and obviously this year they have, but again, health is a huge factor and is this team a dangerous team when they're completely healthy you would think so you would also think that the wheels are turning inside Kelly McCrimmon and Pete DeBoer's head right now as to what they're going to do for the line. I think there will be a a move or two still made because this team still is geared to play and compete for a Stanley Cup when they are healthy, when they're all together and they are playing their best hockey. They are as good as any team in the NHL, and I will stand by that. Again, it's going to come down to, as it always does, defense wins championships and your last line of defense has to be great in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, Robin Leonard's health, Laurent Bressois' health, having Logan Thompson at the ready is all going to be crucial if this team is going to make any kind of a run this year, maybe this isn't so bad in the respect that the expectations will be a little bit lower going in. Maybe that will be good for the Vegas Golden Knights. They can play on, with a chip on their shoulder once again, like they have for years saying, you know what? People don't believe in us as much anymore. Maybe that's what they need because this team sure and hell played great when nobody believed anything and there was no expectations. They played their best hockey. Let's see if they can get that going again, because they really are going to need to to step it up just to get out of their own conference, their own division. They're going to have to play great hockey. Right now, sitting in fourth in the Pacific Division of the Western Conference, uh, that's the seventh seed. That is not where they want to end this season. Trust me on that. You don't want to play. You definitely don't want to end as the A seed and play Colorado in the first round. That's for sure. Um, moving on, guys. UNLV basketball. You know, the, I I I said before I left for Costa Rica that. this 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 is probably a tournament that I have anticipated more than, the past five or six years, like looked forward to thinking UNLV is a dark horse, but they could make a run. They've beaten the best in this conference. They've played with everybody. We knew that it's a bad matchup against Boise state. They shoot well from the outside and congratulations to them for winning their first conference tournament. I I don't know if it's ever, but it's been like 20 some odd years and congratulations to UNLV for finishing fifth in Kevin Kruger's first year, beating Colorado state twice, beating Wyoming once, but you know, the real big, let down that last game against new mexico and guys spencer you can correct me if i'm wrong but that last game against new mexico the regular season as much as we overlooked it if they win that game they get a berth in the nit which would have been huge for kevin Kruger's first year that would have been 19 wins and i think that would have been enough to get him in because look four teams made the ncaa tournament so Maybe there was undue respect for the Mountain West Conference, and, and maybe it was unjustified respect, but then Utah State gets to go to the NIT, and they finished behind UNLV in the conference. That was a little bit discouraging.
1: Well, the reality is if they would just had one in the Mountain West conference tournament too they would have gone to NIT as well so I mean you can look at a whole list of excuses and they just didn't come prepared that New Mexico game which is on coach Kevin Kruger it's kind of his first like stain on his career but every coach does so it's about what you do moving forward it would have been great to see them there and they probably would have been decent at NIT I think better than Utah State of course but uh, we'll never know how that kind of thing lines up and like who gets to go in and why so it's kind of just like hearsay at this point but You know, uh, I talked about it last week when it comes to UNLV basketball. We all came into this season saying we didn't have expectations and that we wouldn't be disappointed. So when they don't make NIT, we can't sit here and say that we are because that's what we said at the beginning of the season, and that's the reality of the situation. Yeah,
2: I'm not so so sure they would have made the NIT even had they won a game in the conference tournament because you have to look at the ripple effect that that would have had. First of all, obviously, they should the win against New Mexico or the game against New Mexico. Winning that game probably would have made a difference between them getting an invite to something else. I don't know why they did it or if they did and they turned it down. We don't know. But had they beat in Wyoming in the Mountain West tournament. Wyoming was probably one of the last two or three teams in the NCAA tournament as they were in that play-in 11-11 game against Indiana. So, if UNLV beats Wyoming, Wyoming probably doesn't get into the NCAA tournament. Meaning Wyoming would have been in the NIT tournament. I still think they take Utah State over UNLV just based on the fact that Utah State beat them. They were a lot higher in the 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 power ratings. And I mean, look, they they, they Utah State clearly was not a very good team. A long cry from the days of of Sam Merrill and Nimes Cada, but. I, I, I think UNLV would have had to make a run to the to the finals in order to get an invite to the NIT and and unfortunately they lost to Wyoming and we'll never know.
0: You know, Chris, I disagree. I think if they beat New Mexico and they win that game against Wyoming, both Wyoming and UNLV go to the NIT. I truly believe that that's a 20-win season. And that is a 20-win season with a couple of quality wins over the Colorado State team, over Wyoming. That would have been two wins over Wyoming. I think that's enough to get them into the NIT. Because I don't think you could justify putting Wyoming in the NIT if UNLV beats them twice. Yeah, but I, I also UNLV think that,
2: that- – the NIT looked at attendance, and the reality is UNLV fans haven't shown up. So you can't you, you can't be upset about the team. I mean, and I know you're not. I know Spencer's not. I'm not. But the, for the fans who were upset that they didn't make the NIT, get off your asses and get out to the Thomas and Mac. This team, they, they played their asses off this year. And I think Kevin Kruger, who was a member of a very special UNLV team, the best team that we've seen since Tarkanian, he deserves your respect, and he deserves people to show up and and support his team. I I, I look the excuse about the, the 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 vaccine nonsense. Look, you know what? The reality is, people weren't showing up to support this team long before that. So throw that out the door. Next year, you have an opportunity to get behind this team early, and and they need it. They they they've earned it. They deserve it. And I think Kevin Kruger's only got one place to go, and that's up.
0: No, I agree. You know, next year, a little bit tougher. You lose Bryce Hamilton, who was the heart, soul, and embodiment of this Rebels team. He was the culture of this team for one season. And a part of the the reason for the turnaround and some exciting games this year, uh, you know, whether Bryce Hamilton has the goods to play at the next level, I think he does. I think he's a project, but I think we saw enough. NBA activity from Bryce Hamilton throughout the course of the season, the high, you know, uh, points leader, uh, as far as the average points per game in uh, the Mountain West conference this season, that was a big thing. And like I said, Kevin Kruger, to me, his biggest accomplishment was keeping Bryce Hamilton at UNLV with all the changes and stuff that went on. And Bryce Hamilton, obviously, we all thought he was going to be gone this year. So that was a huge accomplishment and it, and it shows that these kids really do like and respect, uh, Kevin Kruger And I hope that that respect continues. And I agree with you. I hope it puts fans in the seats. But I'll tell you what, you know, if this UNLV team had went 18 and 15 and Tark was the coach and it was back in the day, they would have gotten to the NIT, Chris. And that's where I agree with you, seeing a lack of attendance and just the culture's gone. UNLV is not UNLV as we remember it from years ago and all the committees in the different tournaments they know that as well because again if this was the old TARC team and they were on the downslide of those championship years they would have wanted UNLV in the NIT just for prestige alone another big name school but that's not what UNLV is anymore and Hopefully that culture can start getting reestablished. And the first thing to reestablish it is for the students to start attending basketball games. Come on, man, make that student section crazy. Again, bring the fans back in, get the community involved. And I don't know that the culture will ever be what it was at one point in time. That may take years if ever, but it can still be a good college environment and it does take, it starts all with the fans and putting a product on the floor. And Kevin Kruger did that this year. He put a product on the floor. He kind of instituted a new culture of toughness. And, man, for the first time in a long time, I saw defense in a lot of games. UNLV actually playing defense, going on the ground for loose balls, you know, making teams play out on the perimeter and not letting them inside. It was a really good season for UNLV as far as what we expected it to be. It was a good season. Enough about that. The Mountain West Conference, I won't go much into that. You know, they got respect this year. Four teams got a bid. And all four teams went out. San Diego State should have won their game. There's no question about that. They had it in the bag and gave it away. Missing a free throw at the end, too, was a killer. But, um, you know, it's a shame when they finally get some respect and they don't earn it. They, they, don't, they don't earn what they got. And that, that kind of disappointed me. I think it disappointed all Mountain West fans. Listen, Spencer, something I want to talk about. I mentioned about history being made. So go ahead and hit, hit fact this. Fact this. this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Fact. Yesterday, history was made in our nation's capital, and this is what history sounds like. LeBron James to the hoop, and there he is. And then there was one. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar
2: and LeBron James 1-2, all-time in the NBA scoring list.
0: Yeah, uh, LeBron James, you got the postgame. Post Go ahead and play that as well. LeBron James talking about making history and passing the mailman, Carl Malone, to be the second-time leading all-time leading scorer in National Basketball Association history.
2: Just to be um, a part of this league For as many years I've been a part of it And uh, to be linked with some of the greatest i ever played this game Guys that I've either watched or studied Or, or read about or, uh, or inspired to be like Honestly I was just lost for words for it And um, you know It's a it's an honor for myself um, and For my hometown and For my family, my friends To be able uh, to, to live these moments um, Throughout this journey And um, You know, that's exactly what I do it for. I do it for, you know, my family, my friends, my hometown, um, and anybody that's been a part of this journey throughout this, uh, this run so far. I hope to accomplish that at some point in my career, but I won't think about it too much and, you know, pretty much until we, you know, get there, hopefully.
0: Oh, well, what he's talking about getting there, hopefully, he's talking about passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He needs 1,441 points, and if he keeps averaging, his career average is 27.1 points a game. If he does that the rest of the season into next season, about game 54 next year, he will pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, for the all-time points leader in NBA history. Pretty amazing. He's blown away. He said at 1,441, he's done that every year in his career except for last year when we had the COVID and, of course, his injury shortened season. So, um, you know, it's a hell of an accomplishment. I mean, he he needed uh, 20 points. He got 38 last night, a double-double in breaking the record. Um, You know, you got to give him props. It's surprising to me that Carl Malone is the third all-time leading scorer. That's the part where I scratch my head a little bit on, but you know Kareem Abdul Jabbar one of the greatest ever i mean there was there was nobody like him when he played at UCLA or through the NBA i mean he had a shot that was virtually un, maybe the most unblockable shot in NBA history in that skyhook i don't know if i don't know if it was ever blocked if it was it was probably from behind but you know the thing is is that It's a great accomplishment. He's 37 years old. He's still got gas in the tank. He's proven that this year. What? I think he's second in the NBA right now in scoring average with almost 30 points a game. So having a hell of a season this year again at 37. But um, Spencer, put it in perspective. How big of an accomplishment is it to be the second leading scorer and eventually a scorer? I know that's like almost a rhetorical question, but I just don't know why it doesn't feel great to me.
1: Well, it's probably because the Lakers are one of the worst teams in the league this year. Ten games below five hundred, and they're still in the play-in tournament, which really showcases just how horrible these new play-in tournament rules are. A team ten games below five hundred has a chance to make the playoffs. That's embarrassing. And I think that's been the, the weird dichotomy of the season. You know, they brought in Russell Westbrook, who's been atrocious. Well, I I don't want to be a part of that whole narrative, I guess. But, you know, Westbrook has certainly had his bad moments. And more than anything, everything they traded – to get Westbrook on their team just didn't end up being use the
0: word Spencer atrocious. I like it because I would, I would say that that fits.
1: Yeah. Uh, well it's been a whole lot of issues, not just Russell Westbrook. So I think that's the best way I can say that maybe not the best fit for the team, just in general, but going back to LeBron James, you know, he's focused on the scoring record. That's been very clear from now on, you know, it seems weird to say that it's like, Oh, is he not contributing to winning? Well, clearly not. Um, but he wants that record and you know what? He deserves that because if they're not going to make the playoffs this year or if they sneak in somehow, they're going to get blown out by the Suns in the eighth seed, and that's just the reality of the situation. So he's like, well, if that's going to happen, I might as well just say, you know, who cares about these guys on my team who stink? Let me just do this. So it feels a little sour. I think when it's all said and done when he retires, I think we'll look back a little more favorably on the whole situation because it's easy to forget these kinds of narratives. When you look back at Michael Jordan's career, do you ever say, oh, this he didn't have that many points because of that game where his team wasn't good. Like the, with, No, you don't say that. You just look back and see this is how many points he had at the end. So that's what LeBron, I think, recognizes. The guy's very smart. I don't like LeBron personally, but he's <laughs> a genius, and he knows what's going on. He knows that this season's a, a you know a train wreck. He's going to jump ship, in my opinion, and he's going to go and try to actually win a championship somewhere. That's how LeBron... James goes, he leaves disaster in his wake and he goes to the next team to maybe get to squeeze a ring out of that team. So I think that's why everyone's kind of a little weird about it. Well, the other thing, the other
2: aspect of this is I don't think LeBron James is well-liked by a lot of people in America. You know, I I personally don't take too much issue with LeBron James, especially what he does off the court. I think a lot of what he does off the court goes kind of underreported, you know, as far as like building school in Akron and you know, a lot of helping the the underprivileged community in Los Angeles. But I think a lot of people don't like LeBron James, and and some of it for basketball reasons, right? Like, I think people are still bitter about the way he he spurned the Cleveland Cavaliers to go to Miami and form that super team, despite the fact that he wasn't the first guy to do it, right? I mean, we all remember the, the Houston Rockets with Hakeem Olajuwon, Charles Barkley, and Clyde Drexler that failed to win an NBA title. So I think a lot of people for whatever reasons, don't, don't, don't like LeBron James. And and I think a lot of it's what Spencer says, look, the Lakers stink. And there, there, there hasn't been a lot of fanfare for that franchise the last two years. Look, they, they won a fluke title. And I'll say that because of the bubble um, or in the bubble, I should say, I don't know if it's because of the bubble, but I mean, it's certainly looking like that. That was a fluke because Anthony Davis can't stay healthy for more than five minutes. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that a lot of people just don't like LeBron, and, and the Lakers aren't very good. If the Lakers were a championship-caliber team, I think there would have been a lot more, maybe not media attention to it, but I think attention from other people as well. And look, the reality is LeBron James did it during the NCAA tournament where the where the NBA kind of takes a back seat to college basketball. Had he done this back in December or back in, you know, or or after the NCAA tournament. Maybe it's a different perspective from a lot of people, but I think there's a lot of people that really just don't care.
0: You know, and it's really surprising to me because it's a hell of an accomplishment. And Chris, what you said really is something that, just kind of goes unnoticed, and yet it's it's a very very noticeable stuff. The the contributions LeBron James has made to every community where he has played, he has always been a spokesman for the community, trying to do the right thing. Gives a lot of money to charities and to help the poor, uh, it takes up causes, but yet it kind of all goes like you said, by the wayside, people don't like the fact that he's put together superstar teams wherever he goes. He brings people with him, recruits players. I mean, you know, gets coaches fired. LeBron James is a different different animal. And so I think it, he does lack some of the respect that he should get. But when you talk about the greatest of all time, next year, for in all likelihood, he will pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the all-time leading scorer in National Basketball Association history that has to be taken into account he'll do it at 38 years old Kareem played till he was 42
2: you know and and it's funny real quick there's actually a lot of similarities between LeBron James and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar now granted Kareem played college and and was dominant in college but LeBron was able to go right from from high school we all know that story but both very socially active in the community right Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Raising awareness for Muslim athletes, obviously a lot of his, his work for black athletes as well, and and not just black athletes, but the black community. The fact that they both won championships in quote-unquote small markets, right? Kareem, before Giannis, the Greek freak, was, was the only player to ever win a title for the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Like he led the Milwaukee Bucks to an NBA title back in the 70s before he left and went to the Lakers and became... One of the all-time greats. I mean, he was already great when he was in Milwaukee. LeBron already great when he was in Cleveland. Wins a title with the Cavaliers, goes to the Lakers. I, I I think there's there's a lot of parallels. Like, look, they play obviously different styles. They play different positions. But when you look at some of the similarities between the two of them, there's actually some parallels. And look, and I don't know for a fact because I wasn't alive, but I've heard that there was a lot of I don't want to say white America but there were a lot of people who weren't fans of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar because of the fact that he had a voice much like there were a lot of people that weren't fans of LeBron or, or or of Muhammad Ali because he spoke out he was he was very vocal about his opposition to Vietnam so I I think there there there, there is a lot of parallels between the two and and look if LeBron James passes him it's a tremendous accomplishment. I mean, to be the all-time leading scorer in the NBA, I mean, it's funny because you look at the three-point records, and I, I can't remember exactly what the number is, but like Steph Curry made more three-pointers in one season than Larry Bird made in his entire career. So it, it, it's funny how some statistics fall, but regardless of that, to me, the all-time leading scorer in the NBA is, is an unbelievable accomplishment.
0: Yeah, it can't go, it really can't go unnoticed. It, it's really amazing. And the thing is, guys, he's doing it while he's still at the top of his game. I understand he's 37 years old, but he's the second leading scorer in the league this year on a bad basketball team, averaging 30 points a game, just under 30 points a game. So Most guys, when they're breaking the record or they're setting records, it's at the tail end of their career. They're barely doing it. They're adding a few more numbers to their stats. LeBron is still piling on the points. And that is something that you've got to say. Like I said, 37, no, no, not slowing down at all this year, looks healthy and great. What's to say he can't have another two, three, four more great years? Look at Brady coming back again, which is a story for another show. But the question's going to be, is the greatest of all time? And Chris, you mentioned Michael Jordan. I mean, you know, he was revered off the off the court. The The Space Jam movie when he came back to basketball after leaving for two years for baseball, which is still a story that has never really been expounded on why he left basketball saying he wanted to go spend time with his family after his father was murdered. And then he goes and plays Babe minor league. But how are you spending time with your family? No one talks about it. Michael Jordan had a horrific and has a horrific gambling problem. Always has. But that wasn't a problem for the public. We all kind of knew it. He's out on the golf course spending millions of dollars on, a, on a 18 holes of golf while he's playing, and that was okay. But LeBron putting together um, super teams is not. You know, I'll still say Michael Jordan is the GOAT, the greatest I've ever seen. I watched him in his entire career, and I am honored to be able to say that I watched him. He was that good. Like watching Barry Sanders, he was that good. Um, is LeBron the GOAT? I'm always going to say Michael's the GOAT. You know what? Tom Brady, is he the GOAT? You're going to argue with anybody that he's not, but in the one game that I need to win at one time. I'm starting Joe Montana. Hit me if you want to, but that's my feeling still. But when they make these accomplishments, the greatest of all time, you know, you have to base it on statistics. You really do, because it's what they accomplished in their career. Tom Brady, the GOAT. LeBron James, when he passes uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar next season or at the worst, the season after that, the GOAT. You got to call them that and, uh, and we'll stick with it. Amazing accomplishment. It shouldn't go unrecognized. And you guys are right. The fact that the LA Lakers stink and yes, Spencer, uh, The the acquisition of Westbrook, atrocious. It's terrible. It's done nothing for that team, and I knew it wasn't. Michael Westbrook, any team he plays on, until they change the NBA rules so you can play with two basketballs, Michael Westbrook will never be a benefit to any team he plays on. And I'll leave it right there. Listen real quickly, and I want to get to the tournament, but got to talk a little bit of football, guys. Uh, The Raiders... Huge deal last week, getting Devontae Adams. Arguably now one of the best receiving cores in football when you take Wes, when, it's Wes Welker. I almost called uh, Renfro Wes Welker, who plays a lot like him. But when you take Renfro and Darren Waller and now Devontae Adams, wow, what a receiving core. You still got a really good running game with this team, too, with Jacobs. Uh, I don't think there's excuses. This is the year we're going to need to see Derek Carr graduate into that upper echelon quarterback because he has all the tools around him now. Offensive line is pretty damn good, too. I'll bet they work on shoring that up a little bit in this offseason. The defense, we all know how improved they are, man. Max Crosby turning out to be one of the best edge pass rushers in the NFL. Perryman comes over as an afterthought from Carolina last year and turns out to be a pro bowler. Acquisitions this year. Spencer, as a Raiders fan, you've kind of got to be in heaven right now.
1: It's been since, uh, what, 2002, 2003, when uh, Tim Brown and Jerry Rice were at the helm for the receiver position. And since then, it has been a slew of just dudes. Michael Trav- Michael Crabtree was okay. But then I think of old Jordy Nelson. I think of Rod Streeters. I mean, I can give you a list of some of the most obscure names you've ever heard at the receiver position. And that was wide receiver one for the Raiders for a long time. Jacoby Ford, Demarius. I mean, I'm, tell- I'm telling you, <laughs> I've been through it. I have, the most, I have the worst football knowledge when it comes to horrible football teams because that's what the Raiders were for most of my life. Now, I'm not saying this makes them Super Bowl contenders, but obviously the, the one thing I'm, I'm worried about here is that they're going to give Derek Carr an extension before the season starts. But here's what I say. You got him for this year, and he's not going to hold out. He's with his buddy, right? I know he wants that contract. Of course he does. He has got a family, and so does everyone else. who wants a, Anybody who has a job wants money, right? But I don't think he's going to hold out, and I don't think he's going to make a fuss about it. He's got this year to prove it because he's got to be really, really good this year or else they got to cut ties with him because this is a receiving. A, he's got a good running back. He's got two good wide receivers and one of the best tight ends in the game. There are no more excuses. And, you know, I'm not the greatest Derek Carr fan in the world, but, you know, everyone says if he just has the weapons, he'll, you know, he'll be an MVP or he'll be this like amazing Super Bowl quarterback. Well, this is the year to do it. Now, the only problem is if he does have a great year, let's say he wins MVP because, you know, we have, he has the capability. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. I, I'm going to
0: clear my ears out. You talk about Derek Carr and MVP. He did you almost re-
1: won it one year, so we can already say that. Okay. If he does that, the price tag for him goes way up. So the benefit is if you can predict and you're guessing that he has an MVP season, you're getting a huge discount if you extend him this year. If he wins MVP, it's a totally different story. So you kind of have to weigh those two options. That is the biggest storyline for the Raiders this year is Derek Carr's contract
0: for me. No, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, but you you know, you know, said you know he's got you know, one of the best tight ends in football. Devontae Adams just got the highest contract any wide receiver's ever gotten in the history of the NFL, so people are saying he's the best wide receiver, one of the best tight ends, the best wide receiver, and to see what Hunter Renfro has materialized into, especially this last season, he is an all-pro player. You know, I mentioned Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, that type of player. That is now Hunter Renfro, a guy that is tough as nails, can go over the middle, make the tough catch, as some of the most reliable hands in the game this is when you say Derek Carr it would be the only reason I don't laugh at that you're right he had one great season the year he got hurt and wasn't able to play in the playoffs but he has the weapons around him to make him a much better player. He, he, if he is just a little bit better than serviceable, he should be in the MVP talks, And if, especially if all three of them stay healthy all year. Uh, Jacob stays healthy. My God, man, Derek Carr, there's no excuses. I mean, there just isn't this year. The Raiders team went toe-to-toe with the Super Bowl runner-up Cincinnati Bengals in the postseason on the road in cold weather last year. Now they've upgraded this team again. There's not going to be excuses. There's no way this team should not be expected to make the playoffs and win in the playoffs this year. Super Bowl, I mean, come on, man. It's real hard to do that. But my expectations are probably at the very worst a 10-win season, which is what they had last year. I would say more of a 12-13 to win season, considering there's now 17 NFL games, and this team should make a run and should be considered a team that would not be surprised if they went all the way next year. And I can't even believe I'm saying that looking back on the defensive structure of this Raiders team over the past couple of years, but wow, what an improved team. It's going to be interesting to see what the new coaching regime does with this team and how they're able to put them together with this year. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see that. Talk about contracts extensions. Matthew Stafford, man, winning the Super Bowl. They forgot all about the many bad passes he made in Detroit and even last year for the Rams. Hey, they won the Super Bowl. A four-year, $160 million extension for Matthew Stafford. A deal that includes $135 million guaranteed. Hey, he's doing commercials with Lily on AT&T now. I love Matthew Stafford. I'm very happy for him. And my going to say this is like too much when i see that kurt cousins is going to make 45 million this year to me and what deshaun watson just got nothing is too much it's a fair contract for matthew stafford smart move by the rams and hey they are set to repeat especially because we know aaron donald's not really going to retire i hear the negotiations are going really well very soon you will see Aaron Donald as the highest defensive plate player, maybe the highest paid player in the national football league. The Rams will do whatever it takes to keep him and they're making moves, man. They got rid of Robert Woods. You heard that. I mean, he tore his MCL uh, last year in the. I think it was like in early November. And he was out for the season Rams traded him for like a 6th round pick in 2023. Um but uh, you know we'll see. He should be the second option for the Tennessee Titans, which is where he went. They got rid of Julio Jones, so that'll be a good fit for Robert Woods. But uh, the Rams have made some other moves. They're going to be just fine.
1: Well, they got Allen Robinson. Yeah. So I mean, yep. that's just... <laughs> I mean, well, they still want Odell Beckham. I mean, how you know when we talk about how much to help does someone need? And that's like the big sports adage that everybody talks about. Well, how like I think this is the apex of that. I mean, how much help do the Rams eat, and where do they get this money from? It just feels like they printed. It. It's like they give out IOUs or something like that. <laughs> salary cap. I don't get it.
0: Well, there's a two hundred eight point eight million dollar NFL salary cap per team. You're right, Spencer. You hear hundred and sixty million dollars. I mean, that's just about it. So, it, but that's over a, you know over five years, but still pretty surprising. The biggest shocker of the week, obviously, the Cleveland Browns signing. Deshaun Watson, $230 million over five years. The new deal with the Browns will be the most guaranteed money at signing of any player in NFL history um, over five years, all of which is guaranteed. I'm sick to my stomach over that. I'm not even going to expound on it. I- Opinions on it. I'm sick to my stomach over it. I really am, uh, especially with everything that's been out there on Deshaun Watson. It 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 blows my mind. It really does. Uh, the all Browns also trying really hard to sign and Clowney, which I think is a huge move move for them. He's had a couple of really big years there. They got him to sign a one-year contract extension last year, but they're working on trying to get a few years out of maybe a two or three-year deal, and that's in the works right now. And like I mentioned earlier, the most disgusting thing all week to me was Kurt Cousins, like a $35 million to play play one more year. I mean, are you kidding me? At best, the Vikings will win eight games next year, and I don't think they'll win that many. I'm looking at more like six or seven. I mean, to, to for 45, 35, for Kurt Cousins, now granted, he's a Michigan State alum. I should be talking higher about him. Dude, the guy is maybe a drop above average. He throws a decent pass. His career is the recipient of the fact that he got drafted behind RG three, who had a terrible knee injury in his rookie year, which gave Kurt cousins his opportunity. He has made the most of an opportunity as much as any NFL player I can ever think of other than maybe Kurt Warner, but, uh, Kurt Warner was great. Kurt cousins is not, I'll leave it at that. Let's get over to the NCAA, man. We talked about all four of the mountain West teams getting bounced in the first round, but, You know, Cinderella alive and well again, man. This St. Peter's team, how much fun are they to watch? They're, I guess, like a couple miles outside of New York City. Chris, you know, you're from the East Coast. I don't know if you'd ever heard of St. Peter's before, but – But I'll tell you what, man, this is a great story. This guy, Shaheen Holloway, he's been there for three years, kind of soft-spoken. No mid-American athletic conference team has ever made the Sweet 16 before. We've had two number twos make the Sweet 16 in the last two years, which is bizarre. It shows you just how cool this tournament is. But, wow, St. Peter's, Chris, i got to be honest with you, before the tournament, never heard of the place. Well, the funny
2: thing is I I, I know the school quite well, actually. Uh, My father is from Jersey City, so... He grew up about five minutes from the campus there, and uh, my mom worked at Lakewood High School, which is a small town in New Jersey, and when I was a kid, the star player from Lakewood High School, Randy Holmes, went to St. Peter's and led them to the NCAA tournament back in 1995. They beat the Manhattan Jaspers, who were coached by Fran Fraschilla at the time to make the NCAA tournament. Um, so, so yeah, I, 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 I've gone to games on their campus. It was like a high school gym Uh, It probably still is. It's been a long time since I've been there. But Shaheen Holloway was a star at St. Patrick's High School in Elizabeth, New Jersey, back when I was in high school. In fact, I think we're we're very close to the same age. He played in the McDonald's All-American game with Kobe Bryant and actually won the MVP of the McDonald's All-American game that year. Um, St. Patrick's, I, I don't think exists anymore, but Shaheen Holloway is a. He was born in Queens, I think, but played his high school ball in New Jersey. Went to Seton Hall, and actually was the point guard on the team the last time the Pirates made the Sweet 16, which was back, I believe, in 2000 2001, right around that time. So uh, for me, it, it's unbelievably exciting. Uh, see, St. Peter's beat my local college, Monmouth University, last week to win the MAAc. Tournament, you know the the the, the MAC M A A C, they they've got a little bit of tradition of pulling off upsets. Sienna's won games in the N C A tournament. Iona, I believe, won a game in the N C A tournament. Uh, for Saint Peter's, obviously, their first win wins, plural now, in the NCAA tournament. They won the, the I don't know if it was the CBI or CT, whatever the hell it's called. They won one of those things a couple of years ago in 2017. So they've got a little bit of tradition. But to me, the best part was Shaheen Holloway being asked last night if his kids were intimidated going up against big bodies. And he kind of laughed and said, look, I got kids from New York and New Jersey. They're not intimidated by anybody. We're the who push people around. And I got a real kick out of that because obviously being from New Jersey, being quite familiar with Jersey City, which is not a very nice area, that whole New, uh, Jersey City, Newark, Irvington, pretty, pretty rough um, part of New Jersey. And, you know, to have kids from from those neighborhoods being on that roster and making this run, you know, the funny thing is, St. Uh, Jersey City, long, long basketball tradition, Bob Hurley Sr., was the high school coach at St. Anthony's, which for many, many years was one of the preeminent programs in America. Both his kids, Bobby and Danny, now coaching—Danny uh, at UConn, Bobby at Arizona State—they both played at St. Anthony's, so they're Jersey City kids as well. So, so it's just a really great story, and I'm so happy that Jersey City's getting some love because it's, it's, it's kind of it, it's funny. It's it's a city where there's some some serious wealth that's right across the hudson river from new york and and obviously a lot of people who work in new york live in jersey city in these beautiful high rises but when you get into the city itself it, it it's it's a pretty tough town and it's just so cool to see this this city a city i spent so much time in when i was a kid get get the love that they're getting and, and i i don't care if they lose by 30 points in the next round it's, it's an unbelievable story. Like I told someone last night, I don't remember who Buster Douglas lost to after he beat Mike Tyson, but I remember that Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson and everybody who watches the NCAA tournament will forever remember the name of St. Peter's from now on.
0: I agree. I, I think it's a great story. I don't think it's just people on the East Coast and in New York that are excited. I think the entire country is excited. When you see a Cinderella like this, uh, they win their conference tournament. Only way this team's getting in. I mean, it's an 11-loss team, 21-11 and 11 now. They were 19-11 and 11 when they started the tournament. Excuse me. <clears throat> but um, I, I really enjoyed what I saw. And this kid, Enfo, I think is the way, KC Enfo, how cool is that double-double? This kid is a blocking machine. Led the M-A-C-A-C in block shots. I think he was defensive player of the year a couple of times, three times, he is a really good player, and I'm telling you what—he is getting some looks. There's no question; he'll be a star in Europe if that's the route he goes. But this kid's getting looks in the in the, in the NBA. I mean, when you can block shots at the level—I don't care, D1 college—you're blocking shots. You just beat Kentucky, Murray State—the longest winning streak in the NCAA at 21 games coming in. And, and what's ironic is, even though they only have those that those uh 21 wins. Uh now St Peters has won nine straight, and they are actually have the longest winning streak in Division One basketball right now, which is pretty damn cool. You knock off Murray State, who like i said twenty one straight wins now you you're the on that bugaboo seat it's going to be real tough no matter who they play, whether it's going to be Purdue or Texas, that is going to be a real tough game, especially after a week to cool off and come back to reality. But the bottom line is this team has proved they can play with anybody in the country. And you're right, Chris. Lightning struck when they beat Kentucky. Murray State was a bonus of uh, just beating Kentucky and Calipari and one of the richest basketball traditions in in the history of the sport. Pretty damn cool. And I love to see Cinderella. Another team that's considered kind of a Cinderella but – This team could win a national title out of the nine hole, and that is the North Carolina Tar Heels. They really ended their season playing really good basketball. To go into Cameron and beat Duke in Shashevsky's last game there, I mean, that was not an easy task. And this team really, it seemed like they gained a lot of confidence with that, took that into the ACC tournament, and now uh, to knock off the defending champion. Granted, Baylor's not the team they were last year, but they're still one of the best teams in the country, very well coached, and not a lot of people expected North Carolina to win this game. They did. They look really good doing it. And, um, you know, uh, you know. granted, Baylor came back, for I think they were 25 points down at one point, really fought to get back. But then uh, UNC outscored them 13-6 to six in the overtime, and Hubert Davis doing a really good job there, going to fit in the tradition of these, the, I think, the great UNC coaches. He really seems to have a basketball mind. And one thing I noticed, Spencer, when he walks into the locker room and you see him after a game and he goes to the locker room, they just all shut up. You know, the fact that he was a great college player there as well, does say something, but you can see this kid commands respect, and that's going to go a long way, especially to school like North Carolina. Well,
1: I mean, the simple fact is taking over a storied program afterwards, you're not expected to do anything. I mean, anybody, like whoever Coach K is taking over by, and I think it's already been announced like last year, but that guy has a monumental task of just continuing one of the best programs in college basketball history. So when you take this in, it seems it seems like a stopgap until you can find the next real coach that you want to take your program on. But no, this guy's really doing something with it, and you have to give so much credit for him for taking on that much pressure and doing something with it, going deep in the NCAA tournament.
0: Not an easy task to do. No, it's not. And, and, and you know, like I said, UNC – do not sleep on this team. That UNC UCLA game is going to be spectacular. The thing about UCLA is UCLA plays to the level of their competition. Uh, you know, you've always heard that about teams in the past, but they win ugly. They find ways to win ugly. Tiger Campbell may be the most inconsistent point guard in the country. When he's on, he is as good as anybody at the collegiate level. When he's off, he can be horrible. Johnny Juzang, we know he's been hurt all year. He's not the same player he was last year, but he showed us in the NCAA tournament last year. winning the, From winning the buy-in game to going all the way to the Final Four was pretty incredible, and it was on the back of Johnny Juzang, who last year was the best player in the country in the tournament. If he can find himself, because he's looked bad in the first two games, yet they're winning in spite of that – if he can find himself, UCLA's another team that can make a run. The key to UCLA to me is Jaime Jaquez. This guy has got to be healthy. they got six days to work on this guy's ankle. They need him. To win in advance, there's no question in my mind he's going to have to be healthy. But boy, that's probably the matchup I'm looking forward to more than anything else last week. UNC and UCLA, you know the Bruins. I mean, it's basically the same team that won the, that, that that got to the Final Four last year. This is not a team to sleep on, and um, I'm I'm excited about it. But I was excited to see North Carolina win that game the way they did, uh, playing so hard for Hubert Davis. A lot of great games, and today, of course, guys, uh, some great games coming up. In in college basketball today, I'm looking forward to. I said, Tom Izzo does not have a lot of success, Spencer, against Coach K. I think he's at 16 or 17 and three. Uh, he's on, on the losing end of that. But this is the perfect storm. This is the kind of team that Izzo coaches that makes the Sweet 16, that gets to the, that might even get to the final four because they're terrible. They've got one player they can't hit from the perimeter on a consistent basis. That there's holes defensively on a regular basis, and yet. This is one of those Tom Izzo teams. They barely got out of the first round. They could beat Duke. I don't think they will. I, you know, I want them to desperately. Like you, I'm not a Coach K fan. I know Mag sitting back in the Fox Sports residential Bancorp studio is not a Mike Shashevsky fan. We would probably all love to see him go down today. How realistic is it for Michigan State to compete with Duke, let alone beat him? Well, they
2: have to compete with the, the three guys in, in black and white stripes on the court as well. We all know that they will do everything in their power to hand that cheat, Mike Shishovsky, a win. The guy is one of the dirtiest coaches in the history of college basketball. Yet he's lauded as this all-time great. The reality is, Duke will win this game because the officials will hand them the game. It's just the way it is. Duke will. Duke will find a way to make it to the Final Four, despite the fact that they're probably not as good as some other teams. But they look. Some of the better teams have lost as well. So that's always an advantage for Duke. Look, I hope Mike I hope that Tom Izzo does the world a favor and ends the career of Mike Sheshewski. I sound like a wrestling promo, right? End the career of Mike Sheshewski. Look, I think America is united outside of Durham, North Carolina. We're all sparty today, Brian.
0: I, I sure hope so. And, uh, you know, real quickly, we're just about out of time. Another really intriguing matchup is Houston, Illinois. Should be a great game. And how about T.J. Otzelfarder? Excuse me, I mean Otzelberger uh, gets the Iowa State Cyclones, who, to me, I've said they're a house of cards all year. They were playing badly at the end of the year, but they find a way to win the first round out of the 11-hole. Their their season better end today against Wisconsin. Another guy that I'm not real fond of and I'd like to see lose. Listen, we're out of time. I did want to get to them just quickly mentioned. That again, Mia Thomas man wins the uh, 500 and then she loses, comes in last place in the 100 yesterday. I think she did it on purpose. I'm going to leave that subject alone. It's time to talk to another day. And next week, we're gonna have Coach Kevin Kruger from UNLV on. Looking forward to that. Talk about that'll be leading up to the final four. And the last thing I, I did want to say is, man, we've got to talk about the secrets of Playboy. I learned some things about Jim Brown that I am disgusted on. And I hope people out there learn it and this guy pays for what he did. I'm out of time. I'm out this is out of line. Thanks to Chris Bagnum Chapman, Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. See you then. Bye-bye.